Welcome back to the What's and All podcast. I'm Susie Edge, medical doctor and historian, and I'm fascinated by how we've treated the human body in life and in death, but let's face it, mostly in death. This week we're going to talk about the death of William II, William Rufus, that happened in the year 1100. And yet, as I was writing this podcast, it still felt so up to date, because in the background we have these discussions of the royal family, the monarchy, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, the heir to the throne. All these things are still happening, and they're still happening with people commenting on them, people with their own agendas the religious agendas, the political agendas, they all shone through in the writings of of the time and of the years that followed. And now the same thing's happening. We're listening to the different sides of this story, people with, again, political agendas, religious suggestions. It's just that we're hearing it in a different way. We're hearing it through Good Morning Britain, through the newspapers, through Twitter, through TikTok. It's great. It's all so similar. Nothing changed in 900 years. So what happened to William II then? Well, there's a lot to tell. Not to be outdone by his father's nicknames of William the Conqueror, William the Bastard, William II was known as William Rufus, meaning William the Red, because of his red complexion. Rufus was not the firstborn son of William the Conqueror. He was the third. Now, they lost their older brother Richard in a hunting accident in the New Forest when Rufus was a teenager. Remember that important nugget. It might come up later. Rufus had another older brother, Robert. He was a bit wayward and sided with the conqueror's enemy, the King of France. Though they made up towards the end, Robert had not earned the throne of England. Instead, he was given the Duchy of Normandy without England, and England was given to Rufus. Their other brother, Henry was not given land, but was given some cash, £5,000 upon his father's death. He was the sort of lad that had it weighed and measured on receipt, just to make sure he'd been given the exact amount of money that he'd been promised. When their father was buried, the sibling rivalries were not put aside. They got worse, big-scale fighting worse, but it might have been Henry who had the last laugh. As kings go, William Rufus did an okay job in some respects. He was successful in his defence of his father's kingdom. He had kept rebellions at bay. He had respected military skills and he was efficient at being king. When it came to battle, he had a reputation for courage and good luck. He was known to be generous to his loyal soldiers who were keen to obey their king. There was a high price, though, for disloyalty and punishments were severe and brutal. There were many who were not too happy with the king, though, and the church was chief amongst them. William had achieved his military might and further personal riches at the expense of the church and from rebel barons. He was slow to appoint clergy so he could use the lands and riches for himself. His attitude was distinctly anti-clerical and contemptuous of religion. His court was flamboyant and hedonistic and the monastic chroniclers did not hold back in their equally contemptuous descriptions of William Rufus. The chroniclers, who happened to be religious men, held in contempt by Rufus, wrote of him as a waster, a womaniser, and worst of all, ungodly and deserving of what was to come his way. What came his way happened on a fine day in early August in the year 1100. William had woken early, having had rather a lot to drink the night before. He was startled from a dream where he'd had a conversation with the devil, who told him that he would be seeing him tomorrow. 
He was also told by the monks that they'd had visions of terrible things ahead, but William wasn't impressed or bothered that this was anything to concern him, so they made ready to go hunting that afternoon. As they made ready, he handed two of its arrows to his companion, Walter Tyrrell. Bon archer, bon flesh, he said. Good arrows for a good archer. I wonder if they actually had William's name on them. Out on the hunt, William's brother Henry was in another hunting party elsewhere in the forest and the game was afoot. Stag went by, Walter Tyrrell took aim and shot. His arrow glanced off a tree and it hit the king in the chest. This was not good. An arrow piercing the chest with its sharp pointed iron or flint head slicing through between the ribs would hit either lung tissue or major vessels or even the heart. Hitting a lung would mean that the lung tissue would open up to the outside world. Air and blood can get into the cavity between the pleura and the lung tissue. And this hemoneumothorax not only means a lung's not functioning, exchanging gases that are required for living cells, but it can also push against the heart. Once pierced, a major blood vessel, such as the aorta, the artery that takes blood away from the heart for delivery to the rest of the body, will just pour blood into the surrounding tissue. It won't be long before each new beat of the heart deposits more blood out where it shouldn't be. With less and less blood to pump, the body will recognise through reducing blood pressure that the heart needs to pump harder and faster. Catecholamines released will tighten blood vessels and increase the action of the heart, trying to compensate. The rate of breathing will go up as the body tries really hard to provide more oxygenated blood to the tissues that are wondering where the blood's gone, especially the brain. If the point at which the vessel is broken, where the blood is pouring out, is not fixed, it will be in vain. That's in vain, not in vain. That's a terrible anatomy joke that probably doesn't work on a podcast. Sorry. On top of all this, if the large amount of blood, which is now surrounding the tissues rather than within the blood vessels, gets bigger and bigger, it'll push down onto the heart itself. The build-up of pressure will tamponade the heart, fixing it, leaving it unable to pump. If the sharp metal or flint arrow tore through the heart itself, the heart muscle would instantly struggle to pump blood. If any of these situations happen, which, let's face it, are only a matter of centimetres apart in the chest, it'll result in a heart that can't pump or has nothing to pump. While his body tried to compensate, to keep him alive, despite the overwhelming blood loss, William broke the shaft of the arrow that hit him. He fell, pushing what was left further into his chest, and he breathed his last. To survive such an injury as you're listening now, you'd need almost instant emergency surgical pre-hospital care to get inside the chest and to stop that bleeding. Fibrillating heart muscle, which is what happens as it can no longer beat properly, it needs more than a 12th century companion of King William could provide. Besides, they'd all run off anyway. Tyrrell fled, first to France and then onwards to Crusade. He didn't attend the funeral of the dead king. And not many did, not even the king's brother, Henry. Nobody was left to deal with the king's newly deceased corpse. It's a familiar story and one we heard with his father, William the Conqueror, 13 years before. And for sure, this idea of the king's dead body being left by those around him represents the time of fear for the people, for their belongings. But a dead king meant a time of change and potential lawlessness until he was replaced. Some servants were left to manhandle the king's dead body. Blue blood dripping onto their clothes and hands, they hauled him onto a cart. 
The last of his air gurgled up through frothing blood in his throat as he was conveyed in a cart to Winchester. William Rufus had no children. His heir would have to be one of his brothers. Henry, having heard about his brother's death, rode straight away, not to his brother's side, but to Winchester, to the Crown Treasury. A few days later, on Sunday the 5th of August in 1100, rather than turn up to mourn at his brother's funeral in Winchester, Henry was over in London already, being crowned Henry I of England by Bishop Maurice. He was getting in there fast before the return of their older brother Robert Curtos, who was off crusading. In this time, when no king meant no law, everyone was happy to see a new king crowned fast. The Pope had been considering that Rufus be excommunicated from the church because of his contemptuous and irreligious behaviour. He'd had no interest in the church or of demonstrating piety. Henry, though, he was supported by the church. And the accounts of the death of William II, written during the reign of Henry by monastic chroniclers, were not going to start throwing around accusations of assassination. But we are. Henry had the motive. He had little regard for the body of Rufus after his demise. He'd seen the deaths of both his older brother Richard and his nephew, also Richard, son of Robert Curtos. They happened as accidents whilst they were hunting in the New Forest. Maybe that's where he got the idea. And when he heard of his brother's death, he did not hang about. It's almost like he knew what was coming. Over the years, lots of people have accused Henry of assassinating his brother. Of course, we'll never know. There's a lot of reasons to back up such an argument. Not everybody agrees that the king was assassinated by his brother's agent, Tyrrell, or that he was assassinated at all. It might well have just been an accident. Of course, there's more than one account of the event. Another writer in France, the abbot Sergerius of Saint-Denis, stated that his good friend, Tyrrell, was not even there in the forest that day funny that. It's also been argued that with there being no deathbed confession from Tyrrell, which was usually the time to bear all, Tyrrell maybe didn't do that dastardly deed that our history books have laid on him. Those on the side of the assassination theory have argued that Tyrrell was a good shot. He wasn't so incompetent that he would have accidentally shot the king. <laughs> well, there's always three sides to every story. Rufus's bones have been quite hard to pin down. Not quite as hard as Rufus was, but his bones now are. He was buried at Winchester Cathedral, but later lost. For hundreds of years, it's been thought that the bones of William Rufus were held with the bones of some Anglo-Saxon rulers, a couple of bishops, within six mortuary chests which are held at Winchester. The bones were gathered up when the original tombs were ransacked, and now there's a list of 12, but nobody knows exactly who the bones belong to. Recent DNA analysis has shown 22 different people. Only one could be identified, the woman, Queen Emma of Normandy. William Rufus doesn't rest in peace, but at least he's not alone after being abandoned the day he died by his companions. I once read a story that in 1968 some skeletal remains were exhumed from a grave that was marked with William's name. They found the shaft of an arrow. It's doubtful, isn't it? By early accounts of William's death, he'd broken off the shaft of the arrow himself before he collapsed. On top of that, the shaft would have been made of wood, which I doubt would have been preserved that well in 868 years, surrounded by the decaying soft tissue of a body. It may well have been that the arrowhead was found. Now that's a different story and a wonderful story. 
Either way, I've not been able to find any evidence of this mentioned anywhere else. But I'm sure I read it. I, I do have some strange dreams, but that wasn't one of them. Granted, I am currently sitting in lockdown in the north of Scotland, and this might be a case of needing a site visit. Winchester is a bit far away for a day trip to find out, but my big brother, if you're listening, I do mean to travel to your lovely hometown when we can. I might even pop by the Rufus Stone, which stands in the New Forest, to mark the spot where our story of today played out 900 years ago. So that was the death of William II, William Rufus. We've made it to the year 1100 and there are so many good juicy king death stories to come. Assassinations, murders, disease, war, all sorts of good stuff. Do stick around. You can find me on TikTok at Susie Edge. I've changed the name to Susie Edge and I'm really glad I've done so because so many people are just calling me Susie now. That's really nice to see. You can find me on Instagram at suze.edge and please do support this podcast by giving us a decent review, five stars. We'll keep it going. I know it's been two weeks since the last one. Uh, a lot's been happening. A lot that I can't say, but a lot's been going on. So thanks for listening and we'll have another look at a, a royal death, warts and all. <laughs> See you next week.